Father, thank you for the witness of those who have dedicated their lives all out for you. Thank you for what it does in our own hearts. Father, this morning, as we look at Scripture, we ask that you would speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would move us to a more wholehearted commitment, just like those who have made their stand today saying, we want to follow Jesus with our whole heart for our whole lives. Father, move our hearts to a place of deeper commitment in this time together. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I can only imagine what that night must have been like. I imagine it to be one of those eerily dark black nights. I don't know how many of you have spent the entire night working through the night. Any of you that have, have taken uh, on some, some serious jobs, I know some of you uh, as nurses work regularly work through the night. It's a difficult task. Some of you who are gone to college and your college experience, you've probably worked through the night. Others of you I know have worked in other careers working through the night. How do you feel at the end of a long night's work? Anybody? Any of the nurses? You feel pretty tired, right? You feel pretty exhausted, pretty worn out. Well, this night, though, was unlike any other night. These individuals had spent the night working all night before But today there was this burden pressing down on them. They felt this oppressive darkness, not only of the night, but also just of the circumstances that they were facing because their society was in turmoil. There was a lot of conflict going on and they had had high hopes for what was going to take place. They had had dreams for for what was going to happen through one individual. But those dreams, which had started off so big and so exciting that they they had had such excitement about what was going to take place through him, they were beginning to doubt. They were beginning to question. They were beginning to wonder, is he really all that he says he is? Is he really who John the Baptist said he is? Because after all, John the Baptist has been locked in prison for six months. Six long months in a dark dungeon. Prisons back in the day weren't anything like the prisons we have today. It was a miserable place to be. And here, John, who was the forerunner of Christ, as he came proclaiming that here comes the Messiah, who expected that he would end up in a dark prison cell? When Jesus, who when he started off his ministry, said that he had come to set at liberty those who were captives. Why was he in prison? If Jesus was all that he said he was, why Why was all of this darkness in the world around them? They had followed Jesus for over a year. They'd been walking in the footsteps of Jesus. They'd been on and off a part of His ministry. They'd had wonderful experiences of seeing Him do amazing things. But at the same time, there's this question. God, what are you doing? Why is John the Baptist locked up? Why Are things happening the way they are in this world? The Romans are still oppressing us. Our society is still not experiencing what it's supposed to experience. What is going on? I don't know how many of you 
over the past week have found it a challenge to do what we talked about two Sabbaths ago, where we talked about eyeing the light, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of darkness, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of things that we don't understand, of fixing our eyes on Jesus. But in a week like we've had over the past week, where there's been all kinds of violence, there's all kinds of, from, from Baghdad, I'll put a few pictures up here, but from Baghdad where there's a huge bombing in, or in Iraq and over 200 were killed, I believe, to the shootings that happened over the weeks prior to that, to the, the racial tensions that have happened over the past week, the shootings that have happened in Minnesota and Louisiana and now Texas where revenge is taking place apparently. Things that we don't understand as we look at society, we look at it falling apart at the seams, it leads us to question, it leads us to doubt, it leads us to say, Jesus, where are you in the midst of this? Aren't you the Savior? Didn't you come to rescue us out of all of this? Sometimes, maybe as we're going through our lives and we've committed, we've made a step like today to to be baptized, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and then life begins to hit us. The trials begin to hit us. The difficulties begin to hit us. We begin to question. We begin to doubt. We begin to wonder, what is going on? Jesus, where are you? I thought being a disciple would be easier than this. This had to have been what Peter and John were thinking that night. All through the long night as they were busy trying to cast the net, pull it back in. It would drag up a bunch of the, the dregs from the bottom of the the, the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, as some of the Gospels call it. But each time they pulled up that net, can you imagine the discouragement in their hearts as they looked and there was nothing. I mean, of anything, they knew how to fish. They'd done it since the time they were boys. They should know how to fish, and to, but nothing. Long hours passed by as they'd call over maybe to their, the other boat to Andrew and his brother. and Did you catch anything? No. Night wore on. You can just imagine the frustration for Peter. Wondering what is going on. Why is God allowing this to happen to us? Why are we in this situation? It's all too easy for us to begin to focus on the darkness, to begin to focus on the difficulties, to begin to focus on the current events that we don't understand. Why is John the Baptist locked up in prison? Things that Peter did not understand. But in the midst of it all, Jesus comes to the shore and I imagine he begins to watch. His beloved disciples are out there in two separate boats and he sees what's happening. Imagine he's there praying for them saying, God, would you give them strength? Praying to his Father, asking especially for blessings for his beloved disciples. And then as the the light begins to come, the, the disciples have pulled in their boats already and Jesus walks up to the shore. The disciples are cleaning their nets. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 5. You imagine how the disciples are feeling at this point after a long night out on the lake. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1 says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. He'd been there in the early morning, and his fame had spread wide enough that now the crowds were beginning to press in around him. Now, 
Here they are in Galilee. His experience in Judea had not been a very pleasant one. Over the past few months, he'd been in Judea. He'd been trying to teach to those in Jerusalem, and it hadn't turned out so well for him. This was part of the disciples' discouragement at that point, saying, what's going on, Jesus? Why is this happening the way it is? The multitude, though, comes to hear the Word of God there in Galilee. And it says that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Verse 2, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Here we have Peter, Andrew, the brothers James and John who were fishing partners with Peter and Andrew. They're at the end of the day for them. It's the end of their long shift of fishing all night long, working hard. They're discouraged, but they're They haven't even caught anything the whole night of fishing. And there they are just washing their nets. The boats are already pulled up on shore. They're ready to go home to have their breakfast and then get a good long day's sleep, I imagine. Like some of you nurses who work long, hard hours through the night. And here they are. Can you imagine the thoughts? They're just thinking, we're going to get home as soon as we can. We're going to have breakfast can't wait i think our wives are going to have amazing meal prepared for us so tired maybe they're talking about how tired they are look at verse three verse three says then he got into one of the boats just imagine maybe peter's off in the distance he's there washing his net and he looks over and hey it's jesus wait he's getting in my boat What is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus getting in my boat now? We're done fishing for the night. Where was he all night long when I couldn't catch any fish? But Jesus gets into the boat, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. At this point in time, for Peter, of all the things that Jesus could have done for him, why does Jesus come and ask for him to give him his boat so that he can have a little better view, and to be able to speak more clearly to the crowds. Imagine Peter saying, I'm tired, Jesus. Don't you understand? I've been working hard. I've already cleaned the boat. I've already have my nets ready. And here we are. Okay, Jesus, for you, I'll do it. Then as Peter's there, I don't know if he was able to, to stay awake, but Jesus has this message for the people. And the people are hanging, it says, on the Word of God that would come from Jesus. They're hanging on everything that comes from Jesus' mouth. As Jesus is teaching them, I imagine some of the teachings that He may have been sharing. Some teachings that we find a little bit later on in Luke chapter 6, it shares how Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that those who give will receive back pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Maybe these were some of the teachings that Jesus was sharing here. We don't know exactly what He was sharing. Maybe Jesus was sharing about how we don't have to worry about our lives, what we will eat or what we will drink. Maybe He was sharing the promise that if we seek first the kingdom of heaven, all these things will be added unto you. I don't know exactly what Jesus was teaching at this point, but just imagine as Peter was there listening, All the while, these thoughts about John the Baptist, about what's going on in his life, what he should do with his life, as he has followed Jesus somewhat, here he is, now questioning whether he should give a fuller commitment to Jesus. You know, 
It's not all that different from the experience of the Laodicean church. Peter, at this point, is quite Laodicean. He's followed Jesus for a year, but in this time, he hasn't done a whole lot for Jesus. We don't read any things that Peter shows up and and does miraculous things during that first part of Jesus' ministry. We don't see a lot of Peter uh, being sent out by Jesus to do miraculous things. That happens later on. He's been loosely connected with Jesus, but he hasn't made an all-in connection with Jesus. In the Review and Herald, we read this a couple weeks ago. It says, In this world we shall become hopelessly perplexed if we keep looking upon those things that are perplexing. For by dwelling upon them and talking of them, we become discouraged. Here was Peter, following in the footsteps of God Almighty on earth in human form, walking in his footsteps, and yet he's feeling discouraged about his life. He's feeling discouraged about John the Baptist being in prison. He's wondering if Jesus really is who he says he'll be. You're not the only one who's felt discouraged, who has anxious thoughts about following after Jesus. You're not the only one who wonders about the stuff that's going on in the world. Throughout the Bible, you find real people dealing with real situations, having real questions just like you have. Testimonies, Volume 8, talks about the lukewarm condition of the Laodicean church. It says, Like lukewarm water, they are nauseous to his taste. They are neither unconcerned nor selfishly stubborn. They do not engage thoroughly and heartily in the work of God. This is the place where Peter is at at this point. Peter isn't fully engaged, but he's also not disengaged. They do not engage thoroughly and heartily in the work of God, identifying themselves with its interests, but they hold aloof and are ready to leave their posts when their worldly position, personal interests demand it. Peter's still fishing. Peter still has his mind on how to provide for his family, how to, to do the things of life that are necessary for him. Peter is Laodicean. And Jesus, seeing Peter's condition, seeing where Peter was at, where Andrew was at, where James and John are at, he wants to call them to the next level. And the first thing he does is he calls them out of their comfort zone. He says, I see that you've been up all night fishing hard. I see that you didn't catch any fish. Would you mind letting me use your boat so I can preach a sermon? I don't know how you feel after a long, hard day's work. Do you feel like giving that extra time for Jesus, to taking that extra step to be able to serve Jesus, to witness for Jesus, to share for Jesus? Sometimes it just feels like, hey, I just need to go home and I need to crash. Jesus saw that for Peter, the key was to encourage him in his discouragement, in his doubt, to serve. And he asked him for his boat. He asked him, can I just use your boat just for a minute? And he begins to preach. And imagine maybe Peter falls asleep in the boat. Maybe feels like it drags on for far too long. But Jesus has an intention for Peter. He has an experience for Peter. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, Jesus has gotten through his beautiful teachings. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. You remember? What were Peter and Andrew and James and John doing with their nets just a minute ago? 
They were cleaning them after a long, hard night of fishing, catching nothing. And here they are, and now it's daytime. Simon is a fisherman. In fact, he's probably the leader of this group of fishermen based on the story and how he calls the others over to help. This is probably his business. He's probably run it from the time he was young. He understands, he knows what fishing is all about. And here is this carpenter, Jesus, who is not having that much success in his ministry in Judea, who now is asking him to take his boat and to push it out into the deep and to cast those clean nets that have, he's taken all the rubbish out of them that he'd been pulling up all night instead of fish, take those clean nets and to cast them out into the water. How inconvenient. How much does this get in the way of what Peter was wanting to do that day? It wasn't easy to do what Jesus was asking him to do. But Jesus says, will you, will you push out into the deep? Will you throw down your nets for a catch? Simon answers in verse 5 and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Jesus, do you understand? I'm tired. I've worked hard. I've worked 40 hours this week. I've worked through the night. I don't have what it takes to give anything more to you. But I love what Peter goes on to say. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He's not going without complaining. He's not serving Jesus without saying, hey, this is difficult for me. This is pushing me beyond what I'm used to. This is requiring more of me than I'd like. But at the same time, he says, Jesus, if you're telling me to go, I'll do it. I'll push out into the deep. I'll throw out my nets in the daytime, which in the Sea of Galilee with its clear waters, to throw out your net in the daytime was foolish. Because if you threw out your net in the daytime, what are the fish going to do? They're all going to scatter. They're going to see this net coming down and say, we've seen this before. We saw when Uncle Fred got caught by the net. We don't want to get caught today. We don't want to end up as Peter's supper. So let's go ahead and get out of here. Peter knows that fishing during the day isn't going to work. Besides, there weren't any fish there during the night when they should have been there. There wasn't any fish there in the early morning when they should have been feeding. What was Jesus thinking? But Jesus, Jesus realizes that if he can just bring the disciples to the place of full commitment, of willingness to trust in His promises even when it seems difficult, of willingness to push out into the deep even when they've already been trying hard, when they've already been doing so much, even when they don't see the results that they want to see from the ministry that they've been doing, even when John the Baptist is locked in prison, if they just push out into the deep, Jesus knows that He can work for them in a miraculous way. Verse 6 continues, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Now this idea that the net was breaking clearly indicates to us that this was more fish than they're used to catching. This net was not used to handling this amount of fish. Here they are, they cast their net in, and immediately they have an overwhelming supply of fish, and they're pulling in the fish to the boat, and then they have to Go ahead and call to their partners in verse 7. So they signaled to their partners, this was James and John in the other boat, to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This is amazing. I don't know how many of you like to go out on boats, but it's quite hard to sink a boat. That means that this boat was overflowing with fish. You remember Jesus' promise. He said, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. I imagine that there are fish escaping and they don't care because their boat is just overflowing with fish. Can you imagine the look in Peter's eyes as he sees this catch of fish, as he sees the boat overflowing, as he says, we're, we're going to have a problem. Our boat's going to sink because we've caught so many fish. And here he'd been trying all night in his own strength. He'd been doing everything he could in his own strength. And he'd wound up so short. But at a word, Jesus took him out. And suddenly everything changed when he simply trusted to the promises of Jesus. In a dark time, in a discouraging time, in a time when everything seemed like it wasn't working out. When he decided to push out into the deep. To not just hug the shore anymore. To not say, I'm just going to give to Jesus what's convenient in my life. The amount of time that works for me in my schedule. When he said, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm pushing out in the deep. I'm going to serve you wholeheartedly. Jesus showed up in his life in a radical and beautiful way. Look at what it does to Peter. Peter's response clearly shows that more than anything he'd seen so far, he'd seen water turned into wine at a wedding. He'd seen other miracles taking place. He knew that Jesus had amazing power. But here when he sees this miracle, which touched on his personal life, It touched to what Peter knew and understood. Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew that you don't catch fish during the day. Peter had never seen this big of a catch in his life. And not only that, but sometimes we think, well, maybe fishermen really didn't make that much money. I was reading about this, and actually fishermen made quite good money back in these days. They had quite good wages. They were above the average income earner. Here he is, the owner of this business, and here he has a massive catch of fish, bigger than anything he's ever seen before, all because he trusted the promises of Jesus. So his response in verse 8, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Here he is, recognizing that he's in the presence of divinity. He's in the presence of somebody that can handle all the problems in his life. He's realizing that if Jesus can catch fish for me, if Jesus can take care of my fishing business, he understands what's going on with John the Baptist in prison. He understands why the Pharisees and scribes are having the problems that they are. If Jesus can catch fish, I can trust him with my life. But at the same time, he has that experience of Isaiah that we talked about. As Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord seated on the throne, as he saw him high and exalted and lifted up, as he saw the seraphim saying, holy, 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 as he saw all of that glory, he was undone, it said in Isaiah chapter 6. Here for Peter, the same thing happens in his life. As he sees what Jesus has done, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isav has been applied to Peter's eyes. Peter thought that he had it together. Peter thought that he knew what it took to fish. Peter thought that he was able to take care of himself. 
And at this moment in time, he recognizes that now he's in the presence of somebody so great and so powerful and so wonderful that he asks him to depart from him. But notice, he's right there at his knees. He's grabbing on to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, depart from me. But he's hanging on to Jesus for all he's worth. He doesn't want to let Jesus go. He just wants to be with this God in human flesh who can provide for his every need. Verse 9 continues, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. It was beyond anything they'd ever experienced before. And also, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus had a purpose in all of this. Jesus allowed all of this to take place in Peter's life to lead him to a deeper place of commitment, to lead him to a deeper place of trust, to lead him to the place of full-on commitment to the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus wanted for Peter to really push out into the deep. He said, from now on, we're going to be catching men. And the word there for catching isn't like fishing, but it's actually for taking captive men alive. We're going to do something that matters more than anything else. You know, over the past week, we've begun to hear this chatter about black lives matter and blue lives matter and all lives matter. I want to tell you something. Eternal life matters. Eternal life is what matters. In fact, this might have been one of the teachings that Jesus was sharing with the disciples and with those gathered on the banks of the seashore because in Luke, I believe it's chapter 14, Jesus says, don't fear him who's able to destroy the body. Don't fear him who's going to kill you, but fear him who's able to cast the body into hell. Worry about eternity. Worry about your eternal destiny. Is your name written in the book of life? Because I want it to be. I'm hoping that it is. It's your Father's delight to give you the kingdom in this time of turmoil. Is your name written in the book of life? We don't have the answers for what ails this planet right now. We don't have the answers for terrorism. We don't have the answers for racism. Politicians don't have the answers for racism or terrorism. But Jesus has the answer. Jesus has the answer for our economy. Jesus has the answer for what ails this world, for the global catastrophes that we see. Only Jesus can catch boatloads of fish in daylight on the lake of Gennesaret. You can trust Him. But will we trust His Word? Will we push out into the deep? Will we be willing to forsake all to follow Jesus? That's what these disciples are now willing to do. So you pick up the story in verse 11. Having heard this from Jesus, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled anymore. From now on, I'm going to teach you how to catch fish. Not regular fish, but I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Verse 11 says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. Do you realize what this means? I mean, what would you do? I imagine you have dreams and plans. If you were to win the lottery, you probably have said, well, I'd do this with this amount of the millions, and I, if I had that $500 million jackpot, I would 
used 100 million to help God's work. I'd use 30 million to send my kids to college because it costs that much these days. You probably have plans for what you would do with that money. Here they are with an amazing wealth. At this point, they should be headed to the market to sell their boatloads of fish for a fortune. I mean, because couldn't they use that money now to serve God and to, for His work? Couldn't they invest it in the kingdom? But they left it all behind and they followed Jesus because they'd seen in Jesus that pearl of great price that we talked about last week. Jesus to them was everything. Jesus to them was so beautiful that He was worth giving up what they recognized to be the greatest treasure that they had ever been given. They said, we'll give it up because we just want Jesus. Last week we talked about the rich young ruler and how he wasn't willing to give up all for Jesus. Go back with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we follow the story of the rich young ruler. We talked about how Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And one of those he listed was to honor your, was to love your neighbor as yourself. But after Jesus tells him, you need to sell everything. Verse 23 says, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Verse 24, Jesus begins to describe the predicament of this rich young ruler. When, it, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, that he was sad to not be able to follow Jesus, he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes we've heard a, a, a tradition about this. We've heard about a gate that was called the eye of a needle and that when you get up to this gate, you had to squeeze through in order to get through this gate. There's a problem with that tradition in that that tradition didn't come into existence. The only gate we know about was during the medieval times. We don't know of any gate like that in the time of Jesus. And we know that that's not what Jesus is saying here because of how the disciples respond and how Jesus responds to them. Keep on reading. And those who heard it said, Who then could be saved? If the rich can't be saved, the ones that God has blessed, the ones that God has lavished His favor on, if they can't be saved, then who could possibly be saved? But Jesus responds and says this, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things which seem totally impossible, this giving up of everything to follow Jesus, saying, I'm going to forsake all. And in fact, Jesus says that in John chapter 14. He says, no one can be my disciple unless they forsake all their own possessions to follow me. It's not just to the rich young ruler, but it's to you and me that we are called to an all-out commitment to Jesus. I talked last week about how as I was approaching marriage, considering how we could work it out to get married a little bit earlier. I ended up selling my Jetta in order to be able to afford part of that. There was something else in the process of getting married to my amazing wife that took place. We were talking to one of our pastor friends, and he was saying, you know, when I do marriage counseling, I never marry a couple unless they have united their bank accounts. Now, some of you may be in diff more difficult financial situations or varied things, but as I thought about that, I thought, of course, that's great. 
I didn't have any problem with saying, okay, I just sold my Jetta. I want to keep that bank account separate because what if, what if Leah goes and spends it at the store? What, what if she needs something and she goes and buys it? I want her to have to come and ask me first. The thought didn't even cross my mind because I love Leah and I said, let's go in it together. We're all in together. Let's combine our accounts. Let's combine our households. Everything together because I love you that much. Because you're totally worth it. To me, she was like a pearl of great price. Here you have the disciples saying, we're all in. Jesus is so worth it. Jesus means everything. Jesus is so beautiful. We love Jesus so much. We're all in. We're uniting our accounts with Jesus. Jesus, everything that we have is yours. We're all in. We're pushing into the deep. And later on, when Jesus sends out the disciples And then he calls them back. And then in Luke chapter 22, he says to the disciples, when I sent you out, I sent you out without knapsack, without extra clothes, without extra food, without money belt. Did you lack anything? The disciples say to him, no, we didn't lack anything, Lord. Because they were linked up with the one who knew how to fish. They were linked up with the King of Kings, the Creator, the Sustainer, the One who holds all things together, the One in whom all of creation has its being. So it was no sacrifice to give up. But for the rich young ruler, for some reason, it was too much. And for Laodicea, I'm afraid that for much of Laodicea, Jesus is afraid that it's too much. He says He's ready to spew Laodicea out of his mouth because their works are lukewarm. They're halfway in and they're halfway out. They're doing part-time work for God, but they're not fully committed. I have to ask in my own life, am I fully committed? One of the gauges in my own life I'm realizing is how much worry do I have? How much angst do I have about what's going on in life? How concerned am I about my possessions, about what's going to happen to the future of our country? Is this something that I lose sleep over? Because Jesus, when He taught, He taught that if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, that all these things will be added unto you. That you don't have to worry about what you eat or what you will drink. And He said, in fact, don't worry about those things like all of the nations are worrying about them. Like they're constantly going after these things. You don't have to worry about this if. You seek first the kingdom of heaven. When you're all in together, you don't have to stress because you know that you're in it with one who can provide for your every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. In Desire of Ages, page 330, it talks about the invitation that Christ gives to you and I says he bids them seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's talking about those who are careworn, those who are worried and perplexed about all that's going on in the world. And the world around us is very perplexed. This is counsel that is so needed in the days that we're living in. He bids them seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his promises that all things needful to them for this life will be added. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, He has His way prepared to bring relief. Jesus can bring you fish. 
Jesus can do whatever it takes to create the solution to the problems that you're facing if you're all in. If you've fully committed your life to Him. If you've combined accounts with Him. If you said, we're in this together, Jesus. Continues, our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honor of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. If we simply make the service of God supreme in our lives, if we simply focus all of our time, all of our resources, and we say, Jesus, it's all yours to be used as you see fit, all perplexity will vanish. All concerns will be gone. Do you want that for your life? Do you want to not have any worries? No concerns? But to know that Jesus has your back. That Jesus will see you through. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a perfect journey. If you look at the disciples' journey after this and following Jesus, it wasn't all rosy for them. There were still thorns in the pathway. But it was okay because they were in the camp with Jesus. They were wholeheartedly committed to following Jesus. There's nothing like being all in. I've shared before about some of the experiences that Lee and I have had as God has taken us on a journey of giving more to His work. Like when we went off to Andrews University, we ended up selling our motorhome. I shared that story before and how God led us to give all of the funds that we had from our motorhome, even though we were going to a place with little income and we didn't know how we were going to provide. God led us on a journey to say, will you trust me? And God has provided for us in ways that I can't describe. Truly, when you give, it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. When you give your time, when you give your resources, Jesus will reward you. And over the past year, as Lee and I have looked at what we want to do as a church, as a church we got together and we had these big dreams and saying these are the ministries that we want to accomplish over the coming year. This is the budget that we believe is going to take for us to accomplish that. As we put that budget together, we all looked at it and we said this is going to take some stretch. This is going to take us giving a little bit more of ourselves. It's going to take giving more of our time and it's also going to take giving more of our funds. Sometimes, when we're in the midst of a journey, we don't quite know what the end looks like. But we know that Jesus has promised that He will supply all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Just this past week, we're working on fulfilling a pledge that we made for the Camp Meeting Evangelism offering. You'll hear more about that when the SoCal live stream is going on. An offering that provides for things like the Hope Clinic that we have here. We made a, a commitment to that offering in this past week. I realized that in order to fulfill that commitment, it was going to take, again, being all in. It was going to take taking that savings account and saying, God, this is all yours. Got to write a check that doesn't quite make sense. I don't know how we're going to provide for the future, but I know that Jesus holds the future. I know that He can provide for our every need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And I know that even though there's still a little bit more to go on that pledge, that Jesus is going to provide that. And I'm telling you that standing in the midst of not knowing how Jesus is going to provide, 
not knowing what the end looks like, not saying, hey, I've seen it and I've experienced it and it's going to work out, but just knowing that Jesus is faithful. He will not let you down. Will you give all to Jesus? This world is falling apart at the seams. There's a world out there desperately in need. Like we talked about last week, how would you want you to treat yourself if you were in that position? If you hadn't heard the Gospel, if you were on the streets of Paso Robles, if you were on the streets of Dallas, if you were on the streets in Sudan where bodies are being carried into hospital because of the violence that's going on, what would you want you to do on your behalf? When we love others as we would love ourselves, then Jesus has fulfilled His mission in our hearts. Today, I don't know what Jesus is calling you to, but I just want to invite you to kneel with me and to just ask Jesus, how would you have me to push out into the deep? How can I go more full in my commitment for you? Father in heaven, we're just here as human beings who have human needs, who have responsibilities that we don't necessarily know how to fulfill. We're facing circumstances that we don't quite understand. We make commitments sometimes that are bigger than ourselves, but we thank you for the promise of 2 Corinthians 9.8 that you will make all grace abound so that we will have all sufficiency for every good work. We're here, Jesus asking that You would speak to our hearts in the stillness and the quiet, that as we are still, that You would show Yourself as the God who caught fish, boatloads of fish for Peter, and the God who will provide for our every need. Father, would You show us, would You speak to our hearts through Your Holy Spirit and tell us how we can push out into the deep. Father, forgive me for ever holding back anything from You the God who is willing to give your all to save me. Father, we're here. We're making commitments. We're asking for you to give us the strength. We want to push out into the deep. We don't want to hug the shore anymore. We want for Jesus to be everything for us. Would you please reveal yourself to us this week as that great treasure, that precious pearl of great price that is beyond computation in its value. Would you show us that what really matters is eternal life? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.